Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi fellow brain pickers and welcome to episode 47 of Can I Pick Your Brain? My guest today has an incredibly inspiring rags to riches story. In fact, he went from living in a truck and eating out of dumpsters to amassing millions in the fitness industry. Today I'll be picking the brain of Bedris Kulian. Bedris is the founder of Fit Pro Magazine and Fit Body Bootcamp, which is now the fastest growing brand of fitness business franchises worldwide with hundreds of locations across the globe. He has been voted as one of the top 20 most influential people in the fitness industry and has coached over 9,000 businesses. Bedris, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Daniel, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. You are the real deal, huh? <laughs> I mean, you did you you really lived in a truck and ate out of dumpsters? Yeah, yeah. Those were two separate times, of course. I lived in a truck um, in my early twenties when I made some bad business decisions and ended up homeless for a few months. And of course, eating out of a dumpster was when we first came to the United States from communist Russia. And uh, we were broke, we had no money, and so we had to do what we needed to do to survive. So for those listening that haven't heard your story, can you take us back to, I guess, what it was like growing up? So going back to the earlier uh, stage in your life, can you tell us a little bit about um, Little Bedris? Sure. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because most people have this thing where as they grow older, life gets better. For me, Life was amazing from zero to six years old because my father was a member of the Communist Party, uh, not by choice, but of course you they ask you to become a member, and if you say no, then mm. you're shipped off to Siberia. Um, we lived in Armenia at the time under Soviet rule, and so he was a member of the Communist Party, so as you could imagine, he had some privileges that other people didn't. So. I grew up eating caviar for breakfast and having food available to me. Um, all the way to the age of six. Um, hmm. However, my father was not a big fan of the communist regime, and little did I know, he was secretly stockpiling money. He was doing work on the side, stockpiling money, and in 1980, June of 1980, we bribed the Russian government officials, and they allowed us to escape into Italy, and from Italy, we went into uh, the American consult as a uh, as political refugees and of course then came to the United States legally and uh, <laughs> this was a funny thing because I grew up you know uh, vacationing at the Black Sea you know I remember the little snippets of, of, of four years old five years old six years old in the Black Sea in Sochi in Baku mm -hmm. and these amazing resorts and all of a sudden we come to the United States and we're broke we don't speak the language we're poor we we, we, we don't have clothes we don't have any money why? And what happened? So uh, it was a strange dichotomy for me because I couldn't understand why I can't have my tea and caviar for breakfast <laughs> as a you know six year old in the United States. And so I learned very quickly that we're starting all over again, and it was a rough start. And so for the first year and a half, two years here in the United States, 
my parents and my uh, siblings, uh, who are my siblings are significantly older than me, uh, had multiple jobs. Each had three, four jobs uh, in a day, delivering newspapers, um, washing dishes at a pizza parlor, pumping gas, um, you know, just around the clock. And of course, my job was um, dump, jumping into the dumpsters. My dad would kind of give me a, a, a boost over his shoulders no into the way. big dumpsters at You're the back me. of grocery stores. Really? And they would throw out food that was expired but hadn't necessarily gone bad yet. And so my job was to provide the food. And so I would dig through the dumpsters and find food that had some mold on it that my mom could pick the mold off the bread oh and the goodness. cheese and milk that was expired. And anyway, so that's kind of how, how we wait, grew hold up. Wait, on, Pedros, how, how old were you then? Um, so that was age seven. Seven, and, hold uh, on, so seven years old, you were climbing, your father was basically putting you into a dumpster to, to get food. Yeah, but now for me, it was a fun adventure, right? I mean, I'm put sure. any kid in a dumpster with a whole bunch of shit in there, and, uh, oh <laughs> you know, it's a treasure hunt. Can you explain, though, what happened? Why? Why, why was it that you were traveling the world uh, and, and, and living a great life, and then all of a sudden, boom, you moved to the U.S., and suddenly you're, you're broke? Well, something must have happened. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was, um, as you can imagine, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, Russia was at war with Afghanistan. So before the United States went to war with Afghanistan, Russia was at war okay. with Afghanistan. Now, as I said, my siblings are significantly older than me. My brother is 14 years older than me. My sister is 16 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And so my dad knew that in 1980, uh, late 1980, my, son, my, my brother was about to get shipped off to the Red Army. Right. And... Uh, it, being a member of the Communist Party, he tried to pull some strings so that my brother wouldn't get shipped off to Afghanistan because those soldiers of the Russian army were not as well equipped as the soldiers here from the United States. And so it was just a slaughterhouse. And so he was unable to pull strings. And um, so he did the next best thing, which was we're getting the hell out of Armenia, which at the time was part of the Russian government. Um, now, being part of the 18% of the population who was a member of the Communist Party, he had, like I said, extra privileges. You know, we had access to the best foods and to, to great travel, etc. But that still wasn't good enough for my dad. He knew that we were missing opportunities. He, he, he was a big fan of democracy, of freedom, of, mm -hmm. of being a capitalist. Hmm. And all those things were, of course, anti-communist. Hmm. And so we quickly made the decision to... He raised, if I remember correctly, he raised $25,000 over a two-year period. And uh, in June of 1980, we escaped. You know what's amazing, Bedros, is that's your story. That's my story. You, you're, you're pretty much living the same story as what your dad did in a different way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's funny that you say that because I, as I tell that story, I oftentimes realize that very fact. Um, and, and it just blows me away. So fa fast forward for for a minute. So you obviously you grew up to um, at seven, eight year old, eight years old. You were getting food from dumpsters. Did, did things get a bit, um, you know, colorful, more colorful as as time went on, or or did it get worse before it got better? No, it started to progressively get better because. You know, it didn't take long for us to learn the language. Of course, being the youngest in the family, mm. you know, I was able to pick up the language very quickly. So I learned English very quickly. Uh, my parents still have a very heavy accent. My brother and sister have a heavy accent. Um, 
but we all kind of picked up the language. Then went from having three, four jobs each to you know two or three jobs, and then down to one job. Uh, and it didn't take long. In fact, within our first, uh, within five or six years of being here in California, mm. my father was able to put enough money together where he opened up a tiny little tailor shop. He was a tailor mm-hmm. in Armenia, and um, believe it or not, he did really well for the next twenty-five years almost 30 years actually, he was a tailor in Anaheim, California, where he served some you know, uh, local politicians. Uh, some of the biggest department stores would send their best customers to him with their wow. clothes. And he was able to amass a nice little wealth for himself to buy, buy a house and buy a rental property. Um, so, you know, in many ways, my father is the American dream. Hmm. And, and I always say that I'm the American dream and I have the immigrant edge but truly, my father had the immigrant edge to escape communism, and and he's the American dream that he could come into this country without knowing the language and make something of himself, and it just blows me away. But you know what's really you know what's really interesting, Bedris, is that it's almost as if you didn't learn the lesson because you you just mentioned that in college you went broke again and you had to sleep in a in a truck. Yeah. You know why and how? I mean, especially somebody like you who saw what your father went through, and how important it was to save money. You what? know, it's 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 funny because it wasn't an issue of not saving money. It was a factor of all I saw was my dad was working for himself. Every job he had, and again, we have to put this into perspective mm-hmm. because we were here in the United States and because we were foreigners, even though we were here legally. Um, to some degree, my parents and my brother and sister got taken advantage of because they had jobs that were paying well below minimum wage and they didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And they just, some money was better than no money. And so my dad knew very quickly that if I want to make anything of myself, I've got to start making more money. And he knew that the only way he can make more money is if he becomes an entrepreneur, Mm. which led to, again, him saving up money over the next five years and putting all the money together for my sister and my brother's job, et cetera, and opening up this tiny little tailor shop. And so that's what I saw that, you know, jobs equal being broke and being an entrepreneur equals control of your destiny. Mm -hmm. And from as early on as I could remember, yeah, I had a job at the age of 13. I was emptying trucks, believe it or not. I was emptying trucks (laughs) at a grocery store. So goodness me, talk about full circle. Wow. At the age of 13, my first job was to, uh, empty uh, grocery store trucks, which was fine. But, um, I realized, man, I don't, I don't like this. I want to be my own boss. I want, I don't want people to tell me when to go on break, when to go on lunch. And Mm -hmm. so as soon as I could, I started my first business, um, that failed, and it was literally being a, a, a DJ, believe it or not. You know, serious? You were a DJ? Wow. Yeah, at, at high school events, you know, dances okay. and stuff like that, trying to, at weddings. I was 18 at this point. Um, by the time I was 20, I was a personal trainer, had a few clients, didn't know how to grow my business, so I decided, you know, I'm going to go get a job again. So again, having a job, I, I found out again, I'm unemployable. You know, I worked at Disneyland and my sideburns at the time, I had some sideburns. <laughs> Disneyland. My sideburns went down just below my earlobe, Daniel. And I remember my manager coming up to me and saying, we're going to dock your pay until you go across the street to the locker rooms. Because at Disneyland, they have locker rooms for right. employees. <laughs> and, uh, and, and shave up your sideburns a quarter of an inch. Right? No and way. I'm thinking... This is nuts. Like, this, <laughs> I work at a restaurant. I'm behind the scenes. No one can see me. 
but again, more proof that I was unemployable. And so as time went on and the internet came to be around 97, 98, um, I, I said, man, you know, I'm a personal trainer. I understand supplements. <laughs> Everyone's buying supplements at stores. What if I sold supplements on the internet? Of course, there was no Google. Right. There was none of that stuff. So people weren't searching for supplements online. I was using AOL to email people that I would find who had any kind of, uh, any kind of um, fitness, uh, nutrition mm -hmm. thing in their profile. And if you remember AOL, you could literally search profiles in for fitness or nutrition or bodybuilding or weightlifting. I would literally send out 15, 20 emails every night individually. So anyway, but before um, that, my Bedros, business was I, called TotalMuscle.com. Before, we, before we get there, online, I Bedros, before maxed we... out two credit cards mm -hmm. to start it, and I quickly realized that I was unable to sell these supplements fast enough so they would expire, so I would throw them away. The irony there, right, of, again, mm. food expiring and now me putting them in the dumpster instead of taking them out of the dumpster. Right, right, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So by this point, it didn't take long before you can't pay your rent anymore. I've maxed out my credit cards and I got evicted out of my apartment. Um, and that was my first big failure in business. And so while I was still a personal trainer, I did have to live out of my Toyota pickup for a few months. I showered in the gym that I worked at. So it's not like, you know, I was a homeless man, you know, in, on, under the bridge or something. Right. But it certainly was eye-opening. I knew there was something there on the internet. I knew there was a greater reach opportunity. I was just a bit ahead of my time. And so as the internet bubble burst and came back around in 2000, 2001, 2002, I jumped back on board again with the internet with a, a software product called High Tech Trainer, mm -hmm. which was an online personal training software. And that led to FitPro Newsletter, FitPro Magazine. And before you know it, we're building an empire over the next 15 years. But before you got there, you were also a bouncer at a bar, right? I was. I was. So get this, man. I was a, I was a personal trainer trying to – all I wanted to do was train clients and help them get in great shape and improve their confidence and self-esteem. And I didn't know how to market and sell or to promote myself or my services. So I was that guy who was a personal trainer, a fry cook at Disneyland. And then on the weekends, I was a bouncer at a gay bar. Oh, and no, the, you're kidding me. And the reason I bring up <laughs> the gay like bar, if people go, well, why at a gay bar? Right. So, well, they paid $3 more per hour. And oh, my goodness me. <laughs> when um, you're broke, $3 more per hour is a significant amount of money. Right. And <laughs> Any funny stories happening uh, as, a, as a, a bouncer at a gay bar? In, in fact, there is, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you one that's relatively clean. But um, Okay, because my eight-year-old listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful. It didn't take long, man, for me to realize that why the gay bar was paying more. And uh, the first night that I worked, we noticed that there were skinheads gathering at around midnight, one o'clock in the morning in the parking lot. Oh, boy. The other bouncers, I said, hey, what's going on? He says, oh, well, the club's about to give out and uh, these skinheads come to gay bash. And it's oh, our man. job as bouncers to make sure that there's no gay bashing. Otherwise, you know, the place goes out of business. Right. Holy crap <laughs> i did not sign up for that i did not sign up to get in brawls with skinheads with lead pipes and baseball bats right so as you can imagine daniel it was a pretty eye-opening experience um but having said that it was a really fun time working at the k-bar too i met some of the greatest people and uh thursday nights uh were were were, were they called it lipstick lesbian nights <laughs> and so of course okay. these these 
women would come and they would bring their girlfriends <clears throat> and typically there was the girlfriend who was more masculine and of course there was mm-hmm. a lipstick lesbian who was the cute le- uh, uh, lesbian and my wife's gonna kill me for this because my six-year-old and eight-year-old like like listening to these episodes but okay <laughs> keep going listen man you asked for it so yeah, i know it to you. i know <laughs> going back now <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're in now I'll keep this. I'll keep this very clean, though. It, okay. it, it is clean. Long story short, at the back of the club was an outdoor patio where they, because in California, you're not allowed to smoke in restaurants and clubs and bars, etc. So there's a enclosed outdoor patio that opened up to the outside, mm-hmm. and um, I noticed that this woman is going off at her girlfriend and like poking her in the chest as she's yelling at her and pushing her against the fence. And I just quietly went up to her and I said, hey, uh, listen, can you stop that? Because management's going to want to kick you out if you keep doing that. And she, of course, turned around, shoved me and said, F you. I said, all right, great. F me. That's fine. But listen, I'm just trying to help you. You're going to get kicked out. You can't you can't do that. Okay, fine. I walked away. I look and she's doing it again. This time she's more aggressive with her girlfriend. Of course, I look at the bar and the bartender gives me the the little hand sign that you got to <laughs> kick them out. All right. right. So remember, this is way in the back of the nightclub outside. So I go, hey, you have to leave. The girlfriend who was being poked at walked out quietly. Right. The one who was doing the poking, I'm trying to escort her out. She says, no, I'm not leaving. What are you going to do about it? So I went behind her, got her in a bear hug. Picked her up off the ground and just started shuffling my way through the nightclub uh, as people are dancing, et cetera, taking her to the front door. The entire time, she's hitting me with her head in my face, just oh headbutting me God. in my face. No way. And I'm trying to move my head left and right. Ugh. She's using her heels to, to scrape my shins. Ugh. And all I want to do is just smash her into the ground. But I keep thinking to what my dad says, which is to be a modern day knight to a woman. And so I'm thinking, I can't hit this woman. I can't smash her. I got to get her out to the front. But in the meantime, I feel blood pooling up in my mouth. My shins are killing me. It was a horrible experience, man. Oh, my goodness. And at, and at the same time as, as, as all this was going on, you, you were still doing your fitness training during the day, right? Yeah, yeah. So during right. the day, I'm a personal trainer. Thursday, <clears throat> Friday, Saturday nights, right. I'm a bouncer at a game right. club. Right, and you you were apparently so broke at that time that that you couldn't even afford a, a protein shake in between training clients. So so you ended up what was it? Blending ice, diet Pepsi, and what was it? Tuna, like cheap tuna from a can. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, this Holy wasn't smokes. planned out. Just so you know. So also at the time, of course, I was, as you can imagine, when you have pers- personal training clients back to back, you don't have much time to eat. So protein <laughs> shakes come in handy, right? right? So of course, protein shakes were pretty expensive. And uh, like I said, it was a big box gym that I was a trainer at. And the juice bar lady just was very kind to me. She was very sweet to me. So she would give me one Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi a day, um, which was fine because she knew my circumstance that I was living out of my toe to pick up for those couple months. So she would give me one Diet Pepsi a day. So all I had to do was go to the grocery store and buy those cans of tunas for 33 cents. And so I would bring it to her and I would say, look, I love the Diet Pepsi. I've got my caffeine, which I need the kick of energy. Um, but is there any way you can blend this tuna fish with that diet Pepsi and some ice and just <laughs> oh give it to me God. so I can drink it like a protein shake in, in between clients? And let me tell you, it would stink up the entire front lobby of that LA Fitness in Fountain Valley. Oh my God. <laughs> it was just awful. And this woman was so kind to me. Every day she would blend two two of these shakes for me for about a month and a half or two months until I got my finances together and I could actually afford to buy protein shakes. 
Wow. And, and before you, you actually found success, you also failed at launching two fitness businesses. In fact, you lost over $55,000 within one year on one of those. Um, and you also failed three times to get certified as a fitness instructor as well. I mean, you know, people listening to this, why is it that so many people give up after failing once, but you went and failed over and over and over again, and you kept going? Why? How? You know, I, I, I got to tell you, it's you've got to be stubborn. You've got to be pigheaded. You've got to be resilient like a weed, you know. That's all I knew is that I was unemployable. So the alternative for me was unacceptable, which was to go work for somebody, you know, from the Disneyland experience to the gay club, to the unloading the um, <laughs> groceries from a, from a truck. Every job I had was just awful as far as I was concerned. Uh, I have worked with great people, but I had no control over my pain. No matter how great I worked, how fast I worked, how efficient I was, my pay stayed the same. And people told me when to show up went to go on breaks, went to go on lunch, went to go home, how to shave my sideburns. Remember, listen, man, I didn't even have a, it's not like I had tattoos <laughs> and piercings on my face. It right. was sideburns that went quarter of an inch below my earlobe. Right. And so I realized quickly that I was unemployable. So for me, the alternative was not even an option. Hmm. And so it, when I failed at the supplement company, I lost, lost $55,000 done. When I opened up my first gym and failed at that and closed it right back up, Mm -hmm. done. I, I just knew I had to keep going. You know, when I couldn't get certified the first time, second time, third time through the American Council on Exercise, I knew that if I wanted to train people and if I wanted to own my own gym, I had to get certified. Mm -hmm. So I just kept studying and just hoping that I could, if I could just pass, just pass by the skin of my teeth and build my business, I'll be good. And, and so it's really being hyper-focused on that one thing that you want in life. And all I wanted to do was have control of my time and money. Those were the only things. So, and I so knew that I wanted to control my time and money through fitness. Right. And so I just locked on and got OCD and did it. And today, I know I'm going to fail at more businesses because right now I'm writing three books and, and I'm in the process of creating a whole new company. One of those things is going to fail, possibly two of them. Mm -hmm. But I don't care. It doesn't matter. I failed so much. I know that it's just a part of the learning process, the entrepreneurial process. So th this is very inspiring. People listening to this, obviously, I'm very inspired by you. But I, I, if I was listening to this, I'd be thinking, okay, this guy clearly has got a lot of drive, but that's not enough. Like what practical, let's get practical here, Bedris. What did you learn from the failures and how did you apply it to your business today because right I mean at, at your peak you had um, you had five locations you had a staff of 62 which included personal trainers managers you had a large operation today you're, you're I mean how much are you turning over a year at the moment uh, we're doing about 20 million a year right now okay. with our franchise and my coaching and consulting business we've got okay. a staff of about 40 um, majority of them here in our corporate office in Chino Hills, but about 20 million. So 20, 20 million a year world. in sales going from somebody who was dead broke that couldn't even, that had to be a, a bouncer at a gay bar. How do you go, at the end of the day, I hear it all the time. People say I was driven, I was passionate, but that doesn't tell me practically what did you do differently? Yeah. Well, here's what I did. So I learned very quickly from the supplement company that, or the supplement business that I started, I wouldn't even qualify it as a company. It was more of a business right. um, that you've got to have a way of marketing. See, so what I did is I said, well, I'm going to find a way to buy supplements cheap and resell them. 
well, that's great. I had the lowest price, but no one knew how to find my website, TotalMuscle.com. And so unless you can find a website, there's not anything you can buy from the website. So number one, I learned traffic is number one. Then I learned sales. So when I opened up my personal training business and I was able to get the traffic prospects in and I couldn't convert them into paying clients because they would give me one of four objections. I need to go home and think about it. I need to go and talk to my spouse. I can't afford it mm-hmm. or I don't have time. Right. And I would always go, well, they need to go home and think about it. They want <laughs> the right fit. You know, They need to talk to their spouse, time, money. As it turns out, I didn't know how to sell. And so I would just say, well, they were poorly qualified leads. Mm. And so I learned very quickly through these multiple failures that I had that nothing, it's not, no one gives a shit about you building it and they will come. No one cares about that. No one cares (laughs) if you've recreated the wheel and it's a better wheel. It goes faster and never needs greasing and lubrication and, (laughs) and gasoline. And no one cares about that. If you can market it and sell it, then they will come. It's not the best product that wins. It's the best marketed and sold product that wins. And when I figured that out, and when I figured out that I can go narrow and deep into one industry, in my world, it was the fitness industry, and then I can supercharge it with marketing and selling, sky was the limit. So essentially, you you were looking for something to scale because you could have made decent money just uh, training, just doing you know personal one on one training with with you know wealthy people. You could have charged you know a premium, and that would have been it, right? Yeah, and and I did. I mean, man, at the age of twenty eight, I had five personal training gyms in San Diego. We were training some of the judges, some of the best attorneys throughout North wow. County, San Diego. I would get pulled over at the age of twenty eight by a cop. And I would tell them what judge I'm friends with or what attorney <laughs> no I'm friends way. with. And I'd get off out of my ticket. No and way. my five locations were making just over uh, $1.7 million a year. And I wow. was taking home about $300,000 a year. So that's not, not so... bad for a young single man. No, that's but not I bad. I knew that I was destined for more. And I had this chip on my shoulder that I need to make my dad proud. Not that he mm-hmm. ever said, hey, I brought you to this country. You've got to be a multimillionaire. Right, uh, but I knew that there was more that I could do, and so I just didn't stop at five. So I where do you stop? I'm going to dominate this industry. When do you stop, Bedris? If that's the case, you're going to keep going. When do you? When? When is it enough? When I die. Wow. Why would I stop something I'm so passionate about? This is my lifeblood. This is what I'm right now. I'm standing up. I'm wait, in my wait, office, one second. What? What? I'm what is your life? And, and I'm standing like a boxer. I'm ready to fight. I'm but so what? charged and jacked about this. this but is, is it your? Is it the money? This is what I would do free. But is it the money? So so if it's so if it's not the money, then in other words, would you? So you just said you'd do this for free. So it's got nothing to do with the fact that you're you're taking twenty million dollars in turnover a year. It's just the fact that you enjoy pumping people up. That's it. That's it. I was a. You got to remember, man. When you come to this country. I guess you go to any country. If you, when you're a foreigner into any other country, you are treated a little differently, especially yeah. if you don't know the language. Right. And so I was the pariah. I went to three elementary schools, two junior highs, and two high schools. I never had high school friends or school friends like like the rest of the world does. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're the pariah. You dress in funny clothes. You get a funny <laughs> haircut because your mom cuts your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things add up to having low self-esteem, low confidence. And of course we were eating cheap, high calorie, high fat food. And so I was <laughs> right. a fat kid never was into athletics cause my parents just wanted to keep a roof over our head. They didn't care about if I was in athletics. And so as senior year comes around and I'm a fat kid, 
I realized quickly that I got to do something about this. And I started reading muscle magazines and, and working out. And that year, the summer before my senior year of high school, I lost 30 pounds of fat. And it was like, it was like a caterpillar coming out of his, his cocoon, man, hmm. um, and becoming a butterfly. My confidence changed, my self-esteem, my perspective on the world changed, and along with my body. And I realized that this is what I want to do. I want to be an agent of change because there's so many people walking around on this earth, uh, what I call they're the gray people. And you, you probably know them. You go to a cocktail party. Mm-hmm. There's always these clicky groups that are getting along. They're having a good time. The life of the party. There's even a term for it. They're the life of the party. But right. then the gray people are the ones kind of in the shadows, leaning I, against the wall, quietly sitting somewhere, not making eye contact. That was yeah. me. And those are the some of the best people on this planet, man. But the reality is unless they have the confidence and self-esteem to get up and say, start a conversation with you, they're going to stay the gray people. See, I was the gray person. And so that's what I did with Fit Body Bootcamp and my franchise, my entire fitness business. I want to help all the great people of the world get color back into their life is like that, I did. Is that just by having a better body? The, the better body is the domino that falls first. See, you can't go around selling, telling people, hey, you've got low confidence. You've got low self-esteem. This is why your relationship is struggling. And this is why you're emotionally eating. No one's going to buy that. Everyone will buy the fact that well, you don't work out and you probably should work out to be healthy and, and look better, right? Right, mm-hmm. great. That's the first domino that falls. And as we win their trust, a good coach, a good trainer, as you win a client's trust, you actually end up coaching them in so many other areas of their life. Fitness bleeds into everything, their work, their relationship, their 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 children. So it's you're nuts, saying you're man. saying it's, once you really once you change agents. the you're saying once you change the exterior, so then the interior changes, that builds your confidence because you had a, a better physique, so you were able to to come to the party and look people in the eye and be more confident? That's exactly it. But what about people who, who are fat and ugly, but they have a lot of charm? They seem to be getting places. They seem to be the life of the party. They sure are. And you know what? I wish I could have been one of those people. So you're saying this is your this is your journey? It's not everybody's this is my journey. journey. Right. And but so I'm going to find people like me and help them. Right. You know, most successful people I know have a consistent morning ritual, like something they do in the morning. What are your mornings like? Oh, consistent. If you ever wanted to kill me, you can kill me because you would know exactly what time I'm going to walk out of my door <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> into Starbucks. Like, I have no, uh, there's no variety in my morning. So I'll wake up at 5 30 every morning. Wow. Uh, oftentimes, even before the alarm goes off, it'll be 526 and my eyes open and I just pop right up. Wow. Um, first thing I'll do is take a shower. I'll be downstairs by about 6 o'clock, 6.15, while my dog is outside eating in the backyard. I'll, mm-hmm. I tried meditation for a long time. It didn't work. It wasn't for me. Right. And so I said, listen, what, what am I going to do to just be in my own thoughts? I went through this process of where I, I think about the three things I'm grateful for. It could be I'm grateful for my dog, I'm grateful for my family, I'm grateful for this beautiful state that we live in, California. <laughs> All right, check. Those are three things. Who are the three people that I'm grateful for? Okay, I'm grateful for Sean Kershaw, our compliance officer here at <laughs> Fitbody. I'm grateful for uh, my mom for just being such a great support structure, and I'm grateful for my wife for being uh, a, a, a great mom to my kids. Okay, great. Now, who are the three people I'm going to reach out to via text or email and just lift them up? Puff them up because hmm. so many people want to cut each other down. Just three people. Mm-hmm. And so literally within a couple minutes, I go through my three gratitude exercises 
three things I'm grateful for, three people I'm grateful for, three people I'm going to just send them a, what I call a puff up text. Wow. Every day, every day you send that, you send this them up. Wow. And I start my day from there. By this time, my dog Cookie is done eating. We'll go play <laughs> on the grass for a little bit. It's probably around 6.30, 6.45. Now I've got the next two and a half hours to sit on the couch in GSD. And GSD is the term I came up with, which is get shit done. <laughs> nice. I turn my phone off and I flip it upside down. I turn the sound off and I flip it upside down so that I'm not tempted by the screen. Mm-hmm down Facebook and Twitter on my computer so it's not sending me notifications mm-hmm. and I clear out my inbox mm-hmm. I write my copy I do the things that I need to do and by 10 a.m. I'm in the gym you write I'll your own copy Starbucks get my iced coffee 10 minutes in front of Starbucks and then by 10 a.m. I'm, I'm in the gym working out which is why our webinar t- or this thing here today is a 10 15 right mm-hmm. I actually worked out an hour earlier for you oh you're so sweet thank you I appreciate that I'm actually part of your. I'm <laughs> but part it's of- <laughs> very ritual driven, and so people. What say, about but Pe- no, Pedro's? Work- what about people who are listening to this and and they say, well, I'm just not a morning person. I, I can't do it. I wake up, my eyes are heavy. I feel heavy. I just don't feel like getting up. I say that they are amateurs because I was an amateur, and uh, that's the excuse I used. So you were not uh, always not like this. You're not a morning person if you eat excessively at night. If you don't jot down on a list of things to do the night before which means you're going to have anxiety. So you don't want to wake up. Mm, yeah. Go to, if you go to bed late. So I go to bed by 1030. Okay. I'm up by 530. I don't eat a big heavy meal anymore like I used to. Listen, I was that person who would, would have a big heavy meal at night, go to bed by one or two in the morning, yeah. not write down the things I'm going to do when I first wake up, which means I literally have anxiety as I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. And when my alarm would go off at 7, 7.30 in the morning, I would hit the snooze button because I wanted to avoid this chaotic day that yeah. was going to be. But now I eat light. I write my list of to-do things for the morning. I go to sleep by 10.30 at the latest. And when I wake up at 5.30, I already have my list of things I need to do. I don't hit snooze because I'm excited to take on my day versus figuring out what I'm going to do, which is going to mm. give me anxiety. So you're basically and so that's proactive. the difference between being right. an amateur who's going to blame it on I'm not a morning person and being a pro who says, I'm going to make these changes, do it for 21 days, and if it still doesn't stick, then I'll buy it that someone's not a morning person. So you're basically saying that it, essentially it's not the morning that's tough. It's it, In other words, the preparation isn't when you wake up, when the alarm wakes you up. The preparation is the day before. If you haven't prepared then you're going to lose the battle. Yeah. Plan, prepare, and you will profit. And you know what's incredible is you, you've been training your, your 10-year-old son since he was four years old, right? How to, how to work out, good habits, motivation, um, nutrition, people skills. I mean, my oldest is eight, and I can barely train him to stop playing Angry Birds. I mean, how do you train a four-year-old? Just by example. Just by example. So, you know, we've, we've never been inside of a McDonald's. They've seen a McDonald's, and we tell them, hey, see the food in there? Yeah, well, that's chemically engineered. <laughs> You're serious. And it is, because I, I actually met a scientist who works for, um, at the time, he worked for uh, Frito-Lay, which is the company that makes Doritos. Yeah. And <clears throat> I said, what do you, what, why, as a scientist, why are you working for Frito-Lay? What do, you, what do you do? He said, oh, my job is to figure out how to make the tortilla chip break down just right in your mouth to tantalize your taste buds to get you to want to reach for one more. Well, as it turns out, McDonald's has a scientist like that, a team of scientists like that. The more they can make food taste better and tantalize your taste buds, 
the more you're going to go back to it. It's another form of addiction. And so I'll share that with my son and my daughter. Um, and just most recently, in fact, so my yeah. son is 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a great student. He's got like a ninth grade reading abilities. Wow. That's the kid. But like me, he surfs and he's got a bit of a long hair, full head of hair <laughs> like I do. Um, but we take him to private school. And so his teacher, uh, I'm not going to name her name in case she's listening. Um, his teacher <laughs> tends to break his balls about things. Now, he's a great kid. He's a helper. He's all of it, all of it. Check, 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 check. But uh-huh. his, his hair touches his collar. Big deal. So she went on to tell him the very first day of school, hey, Andrew, your hair looks like a girl's haircut. You got to oh. go get a boy's haircut. Now, there's probably a better way she could have said that to a 10-year-old boy. Right. She said it that way. Andrew uh-huh. came home distraught. I said, buddy, guess what? You're going to have more of this happen throughout your life. So it's your job to win Miss whatever her name is over. Mm-hmm. You're going to build rapport. You're going to compliment her. Wow. You're your best helper. And it's been exactly 14 days that his school has started. And he's already one of the top students. Now we did trim a little bit of his hair. We gave her what she wanted, but then he became, he started selling her on him. And so I just teach these skills organically because imagine if you and I were taught these skills as, as a kid to be likable, to win, to win people over, to call people by their first name, to ask their question. You know, someone says, Bedros, who are you? What do you do? I'll say, oh, uh, I'm a personal trainer. I'm in the fitness business. Tell me about you, Daniel. What do you do? And I, I want to know more about you. And the more I ask people questions about themselves, mm-hmm away from me going, you know, Bedros is just a great conversationalist. All I did is ask questions. You did most of the talking, but you walk away feeling like I'm the man. Well, and did you, is this something you learned from your father? Yeah, my father has the gift of gab. Again, remember, when you open up a tailor shop, you barely speak right. English. You have to try and win people over the best you can. And somebody would come and, you know, he sold like little accessories like ties and collar extenders and and mm-hmm. uh, and and dress socks and stuff and so somebody would bring let's say three or four four suits over to him to get altered and you know it might be whatever 120 dollar job for all three suits mm-hmm. he'd come to pick it up he would just reach over to the to, uh, off the wall and he'd take a pair of socks nice dress socks and he'd go this is my gift my gift to you <laughs> At, uh, in fact one time this guy came in he goes my dad's name is joseph uh-huh. Says Joe, my my button broke off my pants. I'm on my way to work. He goes, you wait, you wait in changing room. I change, and he sewed the button back on and he gave it to him. The guy goes, what do I owe you, Joe? He goes, don't worry about it. Wow. The guy ended up bringing his friends in as referrals. Oh. So I saw how quickly. Now I don't. My dad didn't study NLP or salesmanship or any of that. Right. He just organically decided I'm going to be good to people and exceed expectations. But again, I saw that through experience, and I said, holy crap, I'm going to do this with my kids. And it's paying off. Well, one of my followers asked me, um, what's the quickest way to get rich? And I said to him, become a drug dealer, right? He didn't like that answer. So what would you say? Win the lottery. It's either become a drug dealer or win the lottery. <laughs> or, or win the lottery. I don't know right. how to get rich, but I know a for sure way of how to get rich. But it takes hard work, a relatively long amount of You know, I call myself a 10-year overnight success. And <laughs> in a lifespan of... 85 to 100 years, what is 10 years, man? If we just lock down between the ages of 30 and 40 mm-hmm. and work our ass off, those 10 years go by so quick, and then we have this amazing life moving forward. Amazing. Just work hard. That's the answer. There is no get rich quick. And, and your favorite book is 
if I can guess, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill, right? Yes. Yes, in fact, it is. It's definitely a, a, a book that changes people's paradigm about God and heaven and hell. Um, so it's very controversial in that way. Oh, wow. It what is was, an amazing, amazing book. What was, the, what was the number one thing, I think, that you took out of that book? Which I already knew in my heart, but we all like that confirmation, which was you are in charge of your destiny and you make hell or heaven here on earth for yourself. Wow. And it, it, just before we wrap up this episode, this has been extremely inspiring, uh, Bedros. If, if Just picture one person listening. Forget about everybody listening. Just one person. Imagine there's one guy. He's, you know, 28 and he just really just doesn't feel like he's going to be a success. He just he just wakes up, he hits that snooze button, he wakes up at like 10 o'clock, he feels, he, he goes to his job or, he, or maybe he's even just started his business, but it just doesn't, it's not moving. He's just not going anywhere. What, what would you say to him? You know, I would say to him two things. One, have you found your purpose? See, I believe we're all put on this planet to have a purpose. We have a purpose, a gift. Like, this is your gift, Daniel. You are, I've been on plenty of podcasts, and you are an amazing interviewer. And I love the fact that we're riffing, and we're not going off a sheet of questions that I have mm -hmm. that that's kind of lame. So, <laughs> one, you. have you found your purpose? Because if you haven't, odds are, just like a dog, a good German Shepherd dog, by the way, will get depressed if it doesn't have animals or people to shepherd if it doesn't have a routine we're no different than dogs my friend we will get depressed we will want to stay in bed we will want to drink excessively we will want to do drugs we want to eat away the pain if we are not living out our gift or purpose so one find your purpose and two get disciplined in other words when you find your purpose you're going to have the idea fairy come and say hey i've got another idea try this instead try that instead and so many people Never finish the one thing and shift gears to the next thing. They, they think the grass is always greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And so find your purpose and get disciplined and lock on until you have reached your potential with that purpose. And life gets so colorful, so beautiful. You make such a great impact. There's no greater feeling. Amazing. Thank you so much. Pedro's I'm sure a lot of my listeners will want to keep in touch, get in touch with you, contact you. What's the best way for them to, to get in touch with you? Uh, best way is to go to my blog, BedrosKoulian.com, or mm -hmm. to find me on Facebook, which is uh, Facebook.com forward slash BedrosKoulian, and uh, just send me a message. Cool. So I'm going to link those in the show notes for those listening. You can go click on the show notes there. Um, and also, actually, I've got a Facebook group, a private Facebook group where all my listeners are. And if you're not there, then you better get your ass over there now. Um, and to get there, just type into Facebook, um, can I pick your brain? And you'll find the group called Can I Pick Your Brain? And I'll add you there. And I believe Bedros is already in the group, right? So if you have any questions, if you want to pick his brain, um, hopefully he'll have enough time um, to respond. Bedros, this has been incredibly inspiring. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to all my fellow listeners. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.